0: Hello, MCA Scalabot listeners. I am William. And I'm here today with Vic. Hey. And today we are going to cover an oft-repeated topic in recent history, specifically the past year, especially a year from now, which is the— uh, sorry, a year previously, which was the invasion of Ukraine by Russia. And in order to sort of recap and discuss the implications of this, we have today the editor of Marine Corps Gazette, Colonel Chris Woodbridge.
1: Afternoon. Hey, sir. Thanks for coming in. Yeah. And so, uh, we are going to be one of many who have talked and will talk about this um, during this time period, because um, I think, if I'm correct, today, the day we're recording, uh, is the anniversary, the one-year anniversary of the uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine. And so, everybody's got to take some hot, some quite not. But um, before we even started recording, so we were talking a little bit about uh, how we wanted to approach this because, as we were discussing, this is a very well-worn path. Um, and I think you had a, some interesting insight as far as um, assumptions, you know, 366 days ago uh, that people came in and a tendency that we always have as, as far as confirmation bias, that we're only seeing the parts of this thing that sort of confirm the assumption that we had going into it. Uh, so if you could maybe expound a little more. No, that's more uh, bit.
2: Uh, that's that's well put, and uh, I think what we've seen uh, again over the last year, the last 366 days, um, from our uh, American and Western uh, military analysts, military historians, uh, scholars of. Uh, uh, military history, Russian
1: specialists, Ukraine A specialists, precisely yeah. Eastern
2: Eastern European area experts, um, either military, diplomatic, economic, industrial, um, the uh, the battalions of experts uh, that have uh, emerged uh, or been discovered across many different forums, uh, both media, uh, uh, mainstream, uh, print. Uh, broadcast, social media, uh, uh, more niche organizations, think tanks, and the actual policy side of uh, uh, the United States Department of Defense and our, our national government. Um, uh, your your statement about confirmation bias or um, what, what I like to call uh, uh, opinioneering, um, meaning uh, looking at uh, facts, Analyzing facts, often out of context, to serve a uh, preconceived uh, agenda, a preconceived idea uh, that supports some agenda. Um, Now, frankly, in some cases, the agenda is simply um, look at look at how smart I am So, it's a very personal, uh, sort of ego based agenda for given experts. I'm smarter than you. I'm an expert in this area, and I'll prove it.
1: Look at um, how expert I am.
2: Exactly. Um, so, there's a, there's a cadre of, of individuals like that. Um, but there are, there are also uh, a variety of, of experts, pundits, um, who are serving other agendas, either political agendas or uh, uh, in, in our country, partisan political agendas, um, international, national agendas for, for other uh, 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 nations that are involved. Uh, and then there uh, are also, uh, within the defense establishment um, and the larger defense industry uh, uh, establishment, agendas there that are often mm-hmm. profit-based. Um, so uh, what, was, what was probably most striking is from, from the get-go, From 364 days ago, Uh, we have we have lived in a world of predictions. Sure. Um, And and frankly, I I remember our uh, uh, our uh, first session on Ukraine, we did uh, a little less than a year ago after things had been uh, been underway uh, operationally in Ukraine. Uh, with the Russian invasion for some time. And, you know, we, we sort of fell into that trap as well. We we went down the road of of predictions. Um, and uh, I don't know that anybody's been completely right.
0: right. And I don't
2: know that anybody's been mostly wrong. Um, I think anyone who came out and said, oh, this is going to be over in a couple of weeks, and the Russian juggernaut will, will steamroller Ukraine, um, obviously they were incorrect. Um, there were... Some who were proven uh, uh, inaccurate or wrong in their assessments of Russian military capabilities. Um, there were others who uh, underestimated uh, both the Ukrainian will to fight yeah. and their capacity to fight. Um, and uh, if you recall from our, our original discussion, I referred to you know current events as uh, you know a living, breathing laboratory in Clausewitz's view of war, the, mm-hmm. the nature of war. And I still stand by that, and I think that still holds true. Um, the three-part the three nature uh, of Clausewitz's trinity of war is still valid in what we're looking at now uh, uh, a year later. Um, all those factors still are at play and can serve as a, uh, a good lens to look at what we're seeing, to analyze what we're seeing, but they're not a good lens to predict outcomes sure. of what's going to happen. Right. Um, some predicted, uh, again, success of of the Russian conventional military juggernaut, um, and then some form of irregular warfare, counterinsurgency, or insurgency ensuing. Some predicted. Um, uh, Partial political st- uh, uh, settlements, meaning uh, Russian influence operations to set up uh, essentially puppet governments in occupied areas of primarily eastern Ukraine, um, that would also result in uh, in, in insurgent activity. Um, no, not really. Those those became targets for Ukrainian conventional operations, mm-hmm. uh, and so I think uh, what uh, what's going to emerge is a continuation again, of the Clausewitzian tenet of unpredictability and chance, um, and, uh, and there's, there's no escaping that. War, uh, and this is not, a, this is not a, a Clausewitz term or quote, but war develops uh, uh, a logic all its own, and every individual war is distinct and unique and different from every other. Mm-hmm. So drawing comparisons and contrasting is also something of a fool's errand because it is totally unique. Um, so I think where, where we can gain some value uh, in analysis and, uh, and study uh, of what's occurring uh, at, the, at the strategic and, and tactical levels is uh, to look at what, uh, what, what is relevant to, uh, to the U.S. armed forces – and particularly to the Marine Corps, uh, in uh, the facts of what we've seen, not opinions about those facts. Sure. Um, you know, again, one truth, many opinions. Um, the truth of what we're seeing in the open source. Again, remembering that we're we're limited by uh, uh, what we what we really have access to, um, and what that's going to mean uh, to the Marine Corps and to the uh, to the U.S. Uh, defense establishment. Um, in terms of what it's going to mean to Ukraine and Russia, that's, I, I think, going to be determined largely by, by two things. The coming spring, mm-hmm. uh, uh, with a chance of uh, uh, conventional offensives on both sides, Russian offensive, Ukrainian counter-offensive, counter-counter-offensive, um, that's going to continue uh, for as long as there are resources to prosecute it, uh, which then is the... The second uh, determining factor, um, uh, availability of those resources, particularly munitions, and munitions is going to become a limiting factor to where this goes. Um, and then the, the, the third connective tissue there is uh, what occurs in the future of, of upcoming U.S. elections is going to determine the availability of U.S. munitions and mm-hmm. resources to that fight on the Ukraine side. And
1: um, the public appetite.
2: Um, yes, we hear seen... we hear the term "war weariness" mm-hmm. very frequently, and I think it applies to everyone except the people fighting in Ukraine. <laughs> sure, absolutely. <laughs> the Ukrainians fighting in Ukraine. Uh, well, um,
0: at least for now. I mean, if the situation is is stalemated, is it going? Are they going to go for the liberate all of Ukraine, or are they going? Is it going to be North Korea, South Korea?
2: Yes, those are those are uh, valid. Uh, potential futures and what we're talking about here are uh uh, potential alternate futures um the limiting factors i believe uh are ultimately going to be resources those means of fighting uh, uh the material the weapons the munitions and and humans people involved in fighting and uh On the Russian side, that has its own set of consequences and limitations. Uh, Very real potential for uh, 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 almost unrecoverable economic impacts inside Russia. Um, Potential relief for that through support from another actor, like People's Republic of China. Um, On the Ukraine side, it's very similar, but more complex because the Uh, The resourcing comes primarily from the United States, but also from European, some NATO European allies um, that are providing resources to Ukraine. Um, That political will to give up those resources and just the practical limitations of giving away your entire arsenal. Right. You don't want to give away so much of your military capability that now you're vulnerable you know, I can't give you my last bullet. I'm sorry. I, right. I need that, um, and so this is this is uh, true for the United States. Although we have a much more capable industrial base to uh, uh, recover and and uh, uh, continue to deliver if we choose to do so as a as a body politic, um, but for other nations, uh, who for and, and we're talking specifically uh, Western. European and and NATO allies, who have been dependent on the United States' military capability for decades, which in turn has allowed them not to invest significant portions of their gross domestic product into their own defense. Their well is much more shallow than ours, so they're going to have a more uh, uh, conservative view of providing their own resources, which are in somewhat short supply to uh, to ukraine to continue that fight oh by the way all of that is influenced in the in the information uh, uh, uh war fighting function by uh perceived and actual success uh, we're investing resources you want to see some return on that investment so where's the where's the end state where's that potential victory Maybe it's an absolute or traditional victory in the uh, really the, the uh, classical war of fire and maneuver sense. Where my chess pieces are at the end of the game, I own all that territory. Mm-hmm. And so taking back all of Ukraine to include the, the Don River Valley, the Donbass, and Crimea, and okay, that's that's a potential future, um, but so resource-intensive that it, it may be a least likely one. Uh, A negotiated settlement, uh, as William pointed out, uh, something along the lines of the Korean armistice, Mm -hmm. which does not terminate the conflict. It ends the kinetic phase uh, for some period of time, uh, presumably accompanied by some uh, uh, external uh, monitoring. The armistice in Korea has been monitored by the United Nations for... Uh, again, decades, well, over 60 years, um, with the uh, belligerents in this respect, particularly Russia, accept that. Um, perhaps, as long as there's a, uh, a PRC, People's Liberation Army contingent in that UN observer force. Well,
1: and <laughs> to go to the in, your point about information, the information environment is... Can Russia do something like that and still be able to have a perceived, not just claimed, but a perceived victory in something like that? It's not a concession. We did exactly what we came to do. This is what that looks like. It can If they can pull that off, then maybe that's on the table. That's that's a
2: great point. Yeah. And, and to date, um, that would require some significant uh, uh, re-messaging. Mm-hmm uh, on the Russian side. However, if there's any, uh, uh, nation on, on the planet that's capable of that kind of internal propaganda, I mean, we're talking Orwellian level, uh, <laughs> new think and new speak. Um, well, I'd say that, uh, 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 Vladimir Putin's Russia is probably most capable, perhaps behind North Korea and the, and the, the PRC of doing that. Um, uh, so uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a heavy lift, uh, and that in turn uh, is, the, uh, is the fuel for civil unrest in Russia, which, sure. again, we have seen uh, fairly consistently over the past year, certainly over the last six months. Um, that sort of destabilization um, for a long time— was uh, what we believed during the Cold War would ultimately result in the end of the evil empire, the end of the USSR. Uh, It didn't quite work out that way. Um, uh, Some of us remember studying this back in the 1980s uh, when the thought was primarily based on what had occurred in Iran and Afghanistan, that it would be uh, uh, Islamic fundamentalist movements in the Central Asian republics, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, Turkmenistan, that would uh, create this environment of unrest that started to to fracture uh, the Soviet Union. In reality, it wasn't there. It was in Germany. It was in Western Europe, Mm -hmm. literally where the where the two worlds come yeah, together. we can look
1: over the wall and see precisely golden streets and people exactly. laughing and frolicking. And so
2: and so the the, the point to that observation yeah. is when you look at what uh, what we, the United States, NATO, quote unquote the free world did in the nineteen eighties and prior, but primarily in the nineteen eighties, to precipitate that occurring was economic. Mm-hmm. We outspent and we forced then the Soviet Union to uh, uh, overextend themselves in order to try to keep pace with us economically in terms of uh, not just commercial industry and that sort of, of, uh, of, econ- of economics, but military economics. What we were building, the, the uh, technological capabilities that we were developing at that point, forced them— to uh, uh, reveal or, or revealed uh, the flaws of their uh, social and economic system, which became most acute uh, in the, uh, the Eastern Bloc states of, uh, mm-hmm. of Eastern Europe uh, and precipitated this collapse of the Soviet Union, um, which, like all uh, uh, long conflicts that end, again becomes very unpredictable. Uh, for a time, it became uh the uh uh rule of uh of uh, kleptocracy and criminal uh, uh oligarchs uh mm. eventually coalescing around sort of a new russian imperialism uh but the connecting tissue in all of this are the uh engines of the soviet state uh intelligence police uh, etc that that still control that society um the other, the other, uh, you know, big difference there uh, is, uh, we are now in a, in a, uh, uh, a kinetic war, uh, which requires its own type of resources, its own type of investments, and uh, again, it's it's, it's a question of how well, uh, the United States and this European coalition uh, can, uh, message successes. In order to maintain the will to continue spending uh, the inordinate amounts of money that uh, that we're spending, uh, and as of uh, as of uh, uh, really last month, um, the United States has provided Ukraine with more than 271 billion in security assistance since the Russian invasion on February 24th, 2022, and that's ironically coming out of the February edition of uh, 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 Defense News, um, which uh, has an excellent article, sort of a year in review, but also predictive analysis of, uh, of Ukraine uh, that literally just came out this week. So uh, again, well-worn path, <laughs> but a nice, uh, a nice uh, ready reference uh, if you ever wondered just how much money and how much of different systems uh, are being provided to uh, uh, by the United States to Ukraine? It's uh, it's it's nicely tallied up for you.
1: Well, um, I, d- I definitely want to get into that because I know when we uh, met last time, and and you know, I guess essentially like the first 60 days of this conflict, it was being touted. I mean, we had articles in the Gazette coming out of Marinus and others, folks that were. And Like you said, through their own lens, are saying, look, this is why uh, s- conventional maneuver warfare is the way we need to be going. And then others are saying, look, this is showing us exactly why new tech and these advancements in technology and AI are the way that we need to be going. Everybody had sort of their analysis as they were picking apart the early stages of the war. Um, but things have seemed to, at least from the Russian standpoint, sort of fallen back to that old playbook of just, you know, what is it? You know, just, hey, let's line up and, you know, try to red rover for this damn thing. Um, we'll all just sort of Attack hold hands. Attack on a broad front. Yeah, we'll yep. just line up, get everybody online, and just let's roll. Um, but, but as we step into that, though, sir, I, I wanted to just sort of, I don't know if I call it a leveling exercise, but we, we so, I think everyone is pretty clear, generally speaking, on what led us to this point, where we are currently, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but We've seen what is being touted as, and there's some debate as to the uh, full sort of um, uh, how much, how many resources were we'll put into it. But we, we didn't see this massive winter offensive that was being predicted. Again, predictions are what they are. Uh, but we have seen something uh, that because of the high casualty rate coming out of the rush, at least from the Russian side, and then the just the uh, just. Aggressive amount of indirect fire that has been sent uh, at at Ukraine. Um, so, and now now we're you know things are warmer. Uh, we're getting into sort of the spring season. You know, are we looking at a continuation of the winter offensive from the Russians? Are we looking now at a spring counteroffensive from the Ukraine? What what are some of your thoughts? I guess just looking at the tea leaves.
2: I, I think it's uh, invariably going to be a Ukrainian counteroffensive. How far and how successful? And 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 really, we have to in in the uh, character of this operation, uh, you have to measure things in real estate, in terrain. Uh, the <laughs> being offensive to be defensive. Remember that yep. that that Ukraine is fundamentally defending their territory. In order to do that, they have to be offensive to retake territory. Mm -hmm. Um, How far into the east of the country they are able to go um, will, I think, depend uh, most significantly on uh, the resources that are available to them. I don't think they have any problem at all spending their own lives. I don't think they have any problem at all spending other people's money. And so how far and how much of each of those... Uh, are they capable of dedicating Uh, will determine how far into the east of the country, how many cities can be uncovered and retaken, and how uh, deep into the Don River Valley they can go.
1: Well, and also because they're on their own home turf, they're not beholden to a timeline of, hey, we've got to leave the stadium by such and such time because this is where they live.
2: To a a degree, as long as the resources are available, Mm, they can... Continue to to you know or run the clock down, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but that presupposes that there are uh, true limitations to Russia's manpower, yep. which has been demonstrated. You don't start uh, 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 involuntarily conscripting uh, people off the street and out of prisons and mental hospitals. Um, unless you really have to,
1: yeah. Promoting the head of the Wagner Group to basically your Joint Chiefs, of, your version yeah, of Joint Chiefs of staff. Or, yeah, you,
2: you don't you don't uh, 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 go into the uh, the bench that deeply unless you have to, um, and uh, you don't make deals with the People's Republic of China if you're Russia. Hmm. You don't make deals with the other major power that shares a land border with you unless you absolutely have to. Particularly knowing. The designs agenda, uh, national strategy of the PRC. um, You don't enter into that lightly. Um, So, uh, a marriage of convenience, perhaps, but also mm, largely the only other major player that's willing to do business with Russia. Um, So, uh, you know the other the other uh, uh, unique aspect of this is sort of the uh, uh, asymmetric nature. Of the combat capabilities being employed, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we talk about the uh, uh, the Russians uh, using you know, essentially v- variations of operational maneuver attack on a broad front with uh, 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 con- traditional heavy armor, heavy heavy armor, combined arms mm-hmm. uh, involving heavy artillery, rocket artillery, and an indiscriminate use of uh, uh, fires. Uh, targeting not only military formations but civilian targets as well Um, that that is uh, the good old russian playbook uh, that was written back in the 1930s and 40s and served them very well Um, the other chapter in that playbook that they are very reliant on uh, is the uh, uh, specter of nuclear weapons Mm. Uh, the 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 real uh, uh, and perceived threat of nuclear weapons, even at the tactical level, um, and so and and even employed perhaps uh, in an unconventional manner, as in the information domain, uh, uh, shutting down power grids, communications, radio communications, shutting down the electromagnetic spectrum with uh, with a tactical uh, nuclear weapon. Um, that's, that's a chapter in that playbook that has to be accounted for. How is, uh, how is Ukraine and what I'll call the allies uh, uh, accounting for that? Uh, number one, by not moving forces into Ukraine. Number two, by not providing Ukraine with too much offensive capability. When you look down the laundry list of just U.S. aid to Ukraine, you really don't see true offensive capability. And I'll define that as a, 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 a tactical aircraft of the fighter bomber variety, um, something that can be used to project power into Russia. Uh, you're not you're not really seeing that. Um, no, none of that type of aircraft. Uh, the air defense systems are significant. Uh conventional artillery ammunition is pro and artillery pieces are very significant. Um drones, yeah, comparatively speaking, are very significant. Um but offensive capabilities uh, like you know fighter attack aircraft, bomber aircraft are absent. Um as are uh, really heavy armor.
1: And then, the, And that's the thing. Those are coming in. Although, again, I guess to fall within that information warfare spectrum, we know that that has been agreed upon. But that is a long lag time before those things actually show up. That's right. So from an information standpoint, that's a win. But what is it doing for the Ukrainians in the trenches right now? Absolutely nothing. Because they're not going to see them probably till summer at the earliest. That's right.
2: That's right. Um, so, you know, the, um, the, but there are some, but there are some very significant small numbers in what, uh, the United States alone has provided to Ukraine. Um, what is described in the laundry list as two anti ship weapons looks like they're two for two.
1: Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> so,
2: so th- those are, those are a significant capability. Um, uh, and, and relatively small small number, um, other things that seem seem relatively small. Uh, uh, only 76 tanks, as of uh, January 25th, have been delivered by the United States to uh, to Ukraine. Um, so, uh, again, a tank is an offensive weapon. Um, is it the same type of operational strategic reach right. as fighter aircraft? No so it's not crossing that line that line again something of a tripwire given that other chapter in the russian playbook um uh and how long that lasts uh and the consequences of trying to call a bluff and being wrong uh i don't know that any uh uh any leadership in the alliance is willing to really mm-hmm. uh push that trigger that uh, that that line um uh, because you know, again, you just <laughs> never, never think you know what someone's thinking. You can assess capabilities, you can never truly assess intentions, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and therein lies the problem. And that has been the problem of military intelligence and predictive analysis forever. Sure. Uh, go back to uh, uh, General MacArthur in Korea. Um, eminently capable through our aircraft of assessing uh, uh, the Red Chinese capabilities north of the Yalu River. Capability is there. Predicting or assessing their intention was where MacArthur believed he knew more than everyone else. If they'd wanted to invade, they would have done that when we were on the run back at Pusan. Now that we've cut the country in half, they'll stay away. Not the case, (laughs) not the case. Uh, So again, very dangerous to try to uh, predict Predictive analysis of uh, uh, adversary intentions. Uh, so that needs to be uh, accounted for, and has been accounted for uh, throughout this uh, this year of conflict.
0: Well, s- well, speaking of adversary intentions, you hinted earlier that you know that Russia is going to the table with China. We know, like, with their perspective why they would do that. What's the inverse? What What's China have to lose to gain uh, from going into? Some some relationship with Russia or further relationship with Russia.
2: At, at this stage, I think the uh, uh, the gain uh, from uh, the PRC perspective, and uh, it's important again to and 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 sadly this is an area where I do have some expertise. Um, you have to you have to roll back to some of the fundamental uh, national strategic goals of. Uh, uh, the PRC, the People's Republic of China and the Chinese Communist Party um, both of those as uh, uh, thought organizations are expansionist in nature right? they are seeking to regain uh, in many ways a uh, historical almost mythic position as uh, Chenghua, the middle kingdom the center of the world and the universe. Um, and uh, that, that sounds kind of flowery, and, but it is a fundamental philosophy uh, of the kind of the cyclic nature of Chinese history. Um, and they are on an upswing right now. So having a, uh, to use a very antique term, um, having a client state, a vassal state, mm-hmm. beholden to them, particularly a western one russia uh serves that purpose serves that overall informational strategic and cultural a historic purpose. adversary a long historic right. adversary so um not an alliance but a business deal that uh china sees a benefit in that benefit being intangible uh this this uh, uh role as Uh, You know, I I can I can help you and I will develop a relationship now with another little brother um, who's beholden now to me, Um, but also on a more practical side, even with Chinese assistance, munitions, weapons, what have you, uh, Russia is still in a fairly precarious position internally that could result in economic collapse. economic collapse of a competitor is a good thing from the prc perspective from the chinese communist party perspective um if you are again uh conducting peaceful growth which is something that they uh, uh they do like to advertise um and you don't have another competitor you can grow that much more mm-hmm. and peacefully uh, so uh there's there's a uh uh huge potential there uh, practically and, and intangibly uh, for the Chinese. And the third leg of the stool, I believe, uh, is uh, it, it further um, uh, demonstrates their opposition to the United States and the West.
1: Yeah, so if I was going to ask about that, is it overly simplistic to say you guys are doing it like granted tactically, not so great of a job, but strategically you're doing an awesome job because look at all of these resources that the West is having to suck in. Let's keep that go. We'll give you enough to keep it going. That's correct. So that those guys have to double what it is we're doing in order to counter it, and that's then that's That's their own that's, that's pot exact, that they're pissing in. That's exactly yep. right.
2: So, what what it, uh, by supporting Russia, what they allow. To be sustained is a continued uh, drain mm-hmm. and a strategic distraction on the West, which further permits them to expand and establish uh, their uh, their primacy in the uh, uh, nearer vicinity of the Chinese homeland. So, what we refer to as you know the first island chain, mm-hmm. Southeast Asia, uh, Central Asia, uh, uh, Africa. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, actually, the the first island chain is starting to extend uh, right. well well around the globe with the uh, uh, the expansion and, and search for resources. Yeah, that's, they'd
1: love to get to the Indian Ocean. If and that's dead. exactly, and that's
2: another potential. Again, I you know I'm, I'm uh, I don't think any of us are really privy to any of the quid pro quos in any relationships between uh, uh, Russia and China, um, but uh, China is energy hungry. That's their that that's you know, their 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 population population fat. Uh, they're not resource fat, and they're definitely not energy fat. Um, they are. And, and what does Russia have? Um, right. Russia has energy. So resources and energy are potentially another benefit, uh, practical benefit, uh, tangible benefit for the PRC. Um, would this expand into some form of? Of block or alliance, there may be a bridge too far. Um, having a client state that serves your purposes straight down the fairway,
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, entering into an you know a, uh, an actual treaty alliance, uh, for, you know, further doubtful, Very right. Doubtful. So,
1: well, so what are your thoughts then, uh, as we're talking about resources and, and what what is going into this? Um, I, I, have the thing I can't seem to wrap my head around was how, almost like a damn, Ocean's Eleven movie, the Russians took Crimea and the Donbass using, you know, Brad Pitt and George Clooney disguised as little these green folks. men, and next thing you know, yeah, you little green Bench, men, you wake up and all of a sudden, where is that? Why did the Russians then fall back to, hey, diddle-diddle, straight up the middle? Uh, did they run out of resources? Is it just not part of the nine-pronged advance that they had envisioned that was going to take the con- – like, wh- wh- why are we not seeing – because they do own that southern portion, southeastern portion, Where? why aren't we seeing more naval fires in support of maneuver? Uh, where are all these things that – why is it just an armored column straight up the middle like we've seen, like you said, since the 1930s? Where is that?
2: What's going on there? It, it, I, I, I don't know a good answer to that. I do I do know that the eastern uh, portions of Ukraine, uh, the Donbass and, and even into Crimea, uh, were to a degree fertile ground for Russian uh, unconventional warfare, um, meaning the population in those areas— uh, is, uh, to one degree or another, more closely aligned to the Russian uh, historical, cultural, linguistic, uh, uh, and economic sphere of influence. Um, the whole country isn't that way, clearly. Right. <laughs> but as you move further west into Ukraine, you see uh, a change in character in terms of culture, language, and and affiliation that looks more west. It looks more towards Poland, towards Romania, towards Moldova, towards Hungary, those areas. It's more European Ukrainian than it is Russian Ukrainian. Um, And it's a long, complex, Mm -hmm. and fraught history there. Um, But, again, given the affinity of those eastern people, the eastern region, towards Russia, fertile ground to do the... The Ocean's Eleven, the little the little green men uh, uh, operational approach, but that can only go so far. And also, doing that, and they, you know, again, this predates the invasion of a year ago by years.
1: It was in twenty fourteen. Exactly.
2: Um, To a degree, that's an enabler. It gives you access uh, as a as a um, a precondition or a preparation for the conventional. Uh, uh, combined arms invasion. Um, what again? Knowing that you're not going to have that same fertile ground in the western portions of the country. Um, so, uh, I think they recognize that there's 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 not a lot of there there to uh, uh, to use that approach mm. in places like uh, uh, Kiev and and the west of the country. Um, so so don't waste time yeah, with it. Yeah. Use it use it to continue to solidify your hold in the eastern regions, which, as William had pointed out, may turn into a factor if there is some form of negotiated partition. Um, but where we saw the Russians overextend themselves in that that world, um, unconventional warfare and information warfare, was the attempt to uh, uh, have uh, uh, you know, sham elections, uh, referendum in mm-hmm. occupied areas, where people said, yes, we, we love having the Russians here. It was universally recognized as what it was and failed and fell flat. Um, but uh, again, that's a page out of the playbook. Um, they probably should have edited that page because that was the same page they used in Afghanistan in mm-hmm. 1979, mm-hmm. 1980 come on in on a commercial liner with special forces, have other operatives, unconventional warfare uh, uh, type uh, uh, operatives already there, have a fertile ground of uh, disaffected population that's willing to uh, become the new government under a communist model um, with all that goes along with that. And uh, sadly for them, not account for the divide cultural, religious uh, uh, divide, linguistic, ethnic divide in that country, which then creates an insurgency. Right. Uh, so, again, uh, that, that page probably needed to be edited a little, but different situation. Again, very unique in, uh, in eastern Ukraine, uh, yep. vice-Afghanistan. vice um, Now, with regard to using the Black Sea as maneuver space, uh, and using it to deliver uh, naval fires, long-range or naval service fires, uh, in either in isolation strategically or as a combined arms approach, um, the uh, other nations that border the Black Sea—Turkey, Romania—they're um, they're, Turkey's a NATO partner. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you don't have—I don't believe—they have the naval freedom of maneuver. That it might appear to be. Okay. Um, I think it's more uh, 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 naval presence. So they're there, but as far as m- maneuvering and employing uh, uh, naval platforms for power projection, I don't think they have that freedom. Gotcha. Again, because of the bordering states yeah. and other factors that, well, they did uh, lose that we too, may not.
1: And so maybe yeah, they're those little...
2: two anti-ship weapons. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, and also, you know, again, some, some uh, heroic defense uh, uh, by some uh, Ukrainians in the, in that area. So uh, every one of these things that that happens again has uh, is influenced by and influences that information yeah. domain. Um, and so uh, the the uh, ability of of Russia to influence Ukraine and allied world. uh uh uh, perception uh has proven to be to be uh, virtually non-existent however their ability to influence their own population is rock solid and essentially always has been um so it's 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 remarkable to see even the level of uh civil unrest and uh uh disagreement breaking ranks in the information domain yeah. minimal as it's been it's still pretty remarkable to see that uh, in russia given the consequences for the people who yeah. do that
1: it's interesting to hear so much talk uh, at least within mainstream media about these military bloggers I, my thought on that is is like are we really giving a shit but apparently for russia that's a i mean that's that's a yep. political body an yes. organism within their system it That's is a, it's, it's, a thing it's like a virus it's
2: like a virus in their system yeah um in their in their information system uh and again this is uh their their understanding of and, and call it what it is um it is propaganda uh it is using information uh including disinformation and limiting information to influence the behavior of their own population mm-hmm. that has been a uh uh uh, a stock in trade of the Soviet Union that has carried forward. It's again, it's one of those fundamental uh, uh, connective mm-hmm. tissues in in Russia that dates back to uh, uh, the days of the Soviet Union, and it's it's what made that system work. Um, where it where it got uh, uh, slack and lost control is part of what brought that system down. So they learned those lessons. And yet it's remarkable, even in that environment, to see, uh, frankly, the courage of some people to uh, break with uh, the party line,
1: <laughs> literally. Sure. So, I that mean, that it's really significant then to see even dissent absolutely, within that establishment.
2: Yes, because, uh, you know, dissent in that establishment means uh, uh, prison at a minimum, uh, torture, death, those, you know, it's...
0: Accidentally falling from a skyscraper. Yeah, yes. Eating bad food and then getting
1: food poisoned. Yeah. Yes. Uh, 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 you know,
2: catching some radiation disease. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's uh, again, they're well practiced at it and, and have been for a long time.
1: Um, so, I guess to dovetail off of something that uh, William had mentioned earlier, sir, what, what are your thoughts when we look at. So, from, from the Marine Corps lens then and the, and the Marine Corps punditry and then, and then all the folks uh, in, within our leadership positions, what are some of your – I don't mean for you to be predictive, but what are your thoughts, you, know, you having been one of them uh, not too long ago, looking at this and going, man, Force Design 2030 was spot on, or are we saying, shit, we divested this stuff too soon, or – let's wait and see because it's still all playing out. And then, then to take that even further, will this play in the First Island chain and in the Pacific?
2: Uh, g- great, uh, a great point, and, and, and really bringing it down to sort of the, uh, sort of the, whole, the so what mm-hmm. uh, for uh, the Marine Corps, the Association Gazette readers, et cetera. Um, uh, again, so much of this is, is up uh, at the war policy and strategy level, of of national governments, politics, and those sorts of things, what's what's the so what uh, for? Uh, what is primarily a tactical warfighting organization? That's what the Marine Corps is, um, and 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 how does that relate to the campaign of learning and the campaign of generational change that the Marine Corps is going through right now, referred to mm. as as Force Design 2030. Your statement. Okay, we need to wait a little to to really assess what's going on. That's always the case, but you also can't sit on your hands and wait, um, particularly not the way our defense establishment and our Congress allocates resources and and uh, uh, supports uh, military or, uh, creation of military capabilities. Um, what what you're seeing and what we've seen are the impacts of. Uh, uh, new and emergent technologies on the character of war at the tactical level. Um, and the good news, the Marine Corps is investing in those technologies and capabilities. So things like loading munitions, autonomous drones, unmanned ground vehicles, subsurface vehicles, all of that uh, is, uh, is in the mix of capabilities, uh, either being programmed for and acquired or being invested in as developmental technologies under the overall uh, axis of advance that uh, uh, we, we refer to as uh, force design 2030. Again, the realities in our environment require trade-offs, and those trade-offs have, have occurred. Um, the uh, uh, value of uh, traditional combined arms and heavy armor uh, in Ukraine is is uh, uh, evident. Um, is it the only value? Is it the uh, the trump card, the the coin of the realm? Uh, no. It's a part. It's a part of that overall changed character of war. Um, but here's here's probably what I think the most the most uh, relevant piece to the Marine Corps and sort of the, the underlying vision behind Force Design 2030. Um, and remember, Force Design 2030 and and the Marine Corps' uh, doctrinal changes, approaches, the concepts for expeditionary advanced base operations, stand-in forces are, uh, accomplish two things. First, they answer a hallmark assignment that the Marine Corps was given in black and white, in the 2018 National Defense Strategy, our forces you will treat the People's Republic of China as your pacing threat, meaning the hardest fight you'll have to fight, hardest adversary you'll have to fight, and further, you will use maritime operations in the Taiwan Strait involving Taiwan as your pacing scenario. In 2018, the Marine Corps had no relevant capabilities other than the F-35 in that pacing scenario against that pacing threat, period, full stop. So the campaign of change and learning referred to as uh, as force design 2030, which is going to extend into two to three to five commandancies before it's fully Mm -hmm. uh, 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 achieved was designed to do two things. Develop and acquire capabilities that are relevant to that threat and scenario beyond the F-35. So in General Dunford's words, to modernize the rest of the MAGTAF to catch up with the the Joint Strike Fighter, the F-35 Lightning. That's one thing. But do that while maintaining broad crisis response, global capability uh, as an expeditionary naval force, um, which has its own its own challenges, the availability of amphibious shipping being the primary one. Yep. So, with that in mind, a good way to think about this is the capabilities that are envisioned to be developed, that are being developed, and the trade-offs that have been made for force design 2030 have to provide relevant capabilities in that very specific scenario, but they also have to be of value in multiple other scenarios. So yes, to a degree, it's all about the first island chain and Taiwan, but it can't only be about that. And if I were to make a prediction, I think that the capabilities currently uh, uh, being developed and deployed deployed as part of the Marine Littoral Regiment um, are more likely to be relevantly employed someplace like the baltics or the black sea or the bab al mandeb or the straits of hormuz yeah, or, or south sudan
1: Af- right but say horn of africa
2: or south, south sudan, sudan or the horn of africa or the gulf of guinea or venezuela mm-hmm. all right so the fact of the matter is um having capabilities that are are uh uh forcing an adversary to account for them in congested maritime terrain that were absent in 2018 and are now being fielded as a, as a again, MAGTAF approach to catching up to the F-35, uh, I think those are gonna be capabilities that are, are relevant globally. The last thing I'll say is, and, and it played out, remember where the Marine Corps was when this war started not the whole Marine Corps, but a little portion of it. They're in Norway, all right? So it's very hard to prove a negative. In fact, it's impossible to prove a negative. (laughs) It's impossible to prove or even really speculate what didn't happen during the early phases of the invasion because there were Marines deployed to a NATO partner. Where are Marines now? We have uh, uh, Marine aviation in Poland. We have Marine advisors in Romania, in the Black Sea, in the Baltics. Well,
1: they're taking, yeah, they're taking ARGs up through Correct. those northern provinces. Correct. Yeah, so conditions. if, again,
2: another another prediction or assessment for the Marine Corps, relevance to the Marine Corps based on what we're seeing uh, emerge and what has happened over the last year in, in uh, Ukraine, uh, Marines be prepared to be there in that vicinity globally in places that, Marines haven't really gone to before, mm-hmm. places that uh, uh, are, are not part of our regular patrol routes. <laughs> and remember that for decades, to include uh, uh, the years of, of Iraq and Afghanistan, the Marine Corps has had very stable pro- patrol routes.
1: Well, shit, if you're on the 31st Mew, you could take their deployment cycle— from five years ago and know where it is you're going to be going.
2: That's exactly right. (laughs) That's exactly right. And the same for a West Coast Mew. Yeah. West Coast Mew, you're going to transit, you're going to stop a couple places and train, and you're going to get to CENTCOM, and you're going to do some things around there.
1: Yeah, or if you're on the East Coast and you're going to get a UNITAS, all you have to do if you're a PFC is talk to the gunny about what he did when he was a PFC on (laughs) UNITAS.
2: That's exactly right. And... Uh, by extension, uh, the, the uh, once again the well-established patrol route, um, no longer necessarily uh, 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 capable of being resourced, which was the old med cruise. Yeah, yeah. All right. So yeah, you're going to get into the med. You're going to do all manner of things in there, and you're going to be there uh, for the uh, contingency and crisis response related to the uh, Navur and now Nav Africa uh, AOR. Okay, expect that stuff to change, and it has already. It's changed, but, again, because of the failures to uh, uh, maintain the required amphibious ships available, it's it's changed to more land-based rotational Marine forces. Mm-hmm. So Marine Forces Darwin, Rotational Force Darwin, is about that pacing threat and pacing uh, scenario. Um, the Marine, the establishment of Camp Blas mm, on Guam warm, yeah. is now a an installation, a permanent facility, rotational Marine forces, uh, most likely, uh, again, focused on that environment. Marine forces Norway, again, not m- more than periodic exercises, um, more similar to the old, uh, again, go back to the 80s and the Cold War, the Nalmeb the Norwegian Air Landed Marine Expeditionary Brigade. All the equipments there just fly fly the, the Marines in. Um, I think a Black Sea Rotation Force, uh, Special Purpose MAGTAF, your Africa, we're going to see more of that. And uh, that's actual presence. Um, and it's actual presence by distributed forces, stand-in forces, so they will be present already inside in adversaries' weapons engagement zone, just like the MEB exercising in Norway when Russia invaded Ukraine. They're already inside the WES. Mm-hmm. So for Marines, learning to operate there, sustain themselves there, uh, uh, logistics as the pacing function for sustaining those, uh, those stand-in forces, and then how to interoperate while you're there. Who are you going to interoperate with? Obviously, allies and partners, as we're seeing right now, ramp up in the Philippines and Japan. Again, focused on the pacing threat and scenario. But also in places like the Baltics, Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia, Poland, Norway, um, and the the Black Sea, but also um, interoperating with uh, what I'll refer to as the strange bedfellows of u.s stand-in forces so who are the other u.s stand-in forces beside the marine corps special operations forces all right there's a little bit of affinity there between a an elite conventional magtaf marine force um, but it it's not 100 percent interoperable um, not even on the marsoc side uh, and then the other u.s stand-in force is the submarine force. Mm. Wait a minute. Can Marines even talk to submarines? Well, maybe the, the old Pierce side, you can go on board. And do right. like but operationally, can they interoperate? Can they share common operational pictures, share data, command and control, uh, and, and operate in that information environment together? That's one of the things, again, developmentally in this campaign of, of learning to provide. Complementary capabilities in that stand-in force, special operations forces, Marines as uh, 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 contesting the reconnaissance-counter reconnaissance counter-reconnaissance fight, becoming the capability for targeting forward, interoperating with submarines, which are uh, uniquely capable of influencing at the strategic mm-hmm. through tactical level, uh, uh, and. When we go back to why are we not seeing more naval fires in the Black Sea? I'm not sure what's sitting on the bottom, and neither right. are they. <laughs> right, <laughs> and neither are they. But you don't want to find out. <laughs> you mm-hmm. really don't want to find out. Right. And watch your ship burn to the waterline. So, um, those are, you know, that is the reality I believe of this future uh, trajectory that uh, General Berger has set us on, and that I think we can expect. Not one, not two, three, or more commandants in the future are going to sustain uh, this campaign of change and campaign of learning. And it will be informed by uh, observations, analysis, and lessons from Ukraine uh, when we know they're the right lessons to learn right. from.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, to bring this
0: discussion a uh, full circle, you mentioned earlier, you know the 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 array and variety array and variety of sources, and the levels of biases that exist with the war in Ukraine, what do you recommend the Marines examine? What sources, what resources? Marine Corps Gazette. Yes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. ding, of ding, course, ding, exclusively. Ding. <laughs> exclusively. No, 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 no. That paid paid uh, political advertisement there. Um, shameless, shameless promotion of the professional journal. Um, obviously, professional journals. The Gazette, Proceedings, uh, uh, Parameters, uh, uh, Army War College uh, Quarterly, those, those sorts of professional journals have... Uh, uh high standards and, and a great uh collection of uh, 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 analysis and and uh, and readings to be done um uh, there are in, in fact on the Gazette side one of the things as you all know we we're, uh we're, we're looking to launch uh, uh sort of a curated collection of articles you know there are marines out there writing on these subjects and uh and publishing those on uh on uh, as part of our, uh, our web presence. Um, but there, there's uh, uh, CSIS, um, the C- Center for Strategic and International Studies, um, pro- has produced some very good readings, uh, analytical and, and observation readings uh, on the subject, um, and, uh, and I would recommend them. Um, and then uh, it, it's, it's, it's incumbent on anyone, I think, to cast the net as wide as possible. Because this environment, as we said, with these well-worn paths and uh, battalions of uh, of experts, pundits, whatever you want to call them, um, if you fall into the trap of kind of only reading uh, in your lane or a few that you agree with, uh, you're you're not going to learn what you should learn. Right. So the old uh, 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 admonition uh, to cast the net widely certainly applies here, um, and. Uh, again the, the 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 challenge frankly is you need a really wide net right now mm-hmm. because there is so much out there um, and so much commentary uh, and uh, also what I would what I would uh, recommend is avoiding avoiding uh, commentary from traditional journalism news reporting because the fact of the matter is, uh, in, in our information environment, um, all of that comes with its bias, mm-hmm. comes with its agenda, um, and it will probably be more uh, susceptible to taking things out of context in order to make an uh, agenda-based point in their reporting. Uh, so if you are going to look towards um, media, Frankly, I would, uh, uh, if, it's, if it's televised, I would look towards the BBC. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, second, maybe CNN International, if you can get it. Um, and then in terms of, uh, of uh, you know, actual print journalism, um, I would look towards uh, uh, one of the English-language European papers. Uh, but but uh, again, in, in our world, All of this, and and it's Clausewitz's world, too. Remember, there's the element of war as an instrument of policy. Uh, Policy is a political function. All politics are local. And so ultimately, this, what is a foreign affairs and military affairs, war policy and strategy issue, will be turned back into a domestic political issue. And the media is the tool and accelerator for that Across the spectrum, regardless of what party right. or, or you're talking about, it's the...
1: It's uh, the cultural apparatus. That's correct. Yeah. That's correct. All right,
0: Vic, do you have any final points?
1: No, thank you so much, sir, for coming in and taking the time out of your tremendously busy schedule
0: to do this for us.
2: Busy today. Busy yeah. today. All
0: right. All right, well, thanks for tuning in, everyone, and uh, stay tuned for more updates in Ukraine as the war goes on, but hopefully it doesn't go on that long. Yeah, All right. right. Have a good Amen. one, everyone. Amen. Bye. Guttlebutt is a production of the Marine Corps Association. I am William Trudin, but you've also heard the voices or contributions of Vic Rubel, USMC Retired, Nancy Lichman, or Ty Frazier. The opinions expressed in this episode do not reflect the official stance of the Marine Corps, DOD, or Marine Corps Association.